You're listening to Partnernomics Podcast, where we discuss the art and science of developing successful strategic partnerships. To learn more about the suite of Partnernomics solutions, visit Partnernomics.com. Welcome back to another episode of Partnernomics Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Brigman. And on today's show, we have Mr. Rob Spee with us. Rob, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Mark. Glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. So, Rob, in addition to having his own podcast, which we're definitely going to spend some time on, I've been uh, I've been getting some good insights from Rob on how to do this podcasting thing. But we're definitely going to talk about his his cool podcast that he has going, uh, Channel Journeys. But also, Rob is the RVP of the Americas for Channels at uh, at Owl Systems, a really cool company, awesome technology. So, we're going to dig into that as well. So. Rob uh, not only gets to talk about partnerships on his podcast, but he lives the partnering world and has for, for quite a while. So looking forward to getting your insights, Rob. Thanks again. Oh, you're welcome. The only thing more fun than talking about channels is if you want to talk about sailing or cycling. So I'm game, I'm game <laughs> well, maybe for we'll hit those too. If we run out of topics to talk about, we'll hit those as well. So Rob, if you wouldn't mind, man, I love to, I love to just hear how people got into the world of partnering as a profession. Would you mind just kind of taking us through how did you how did you jumpstart? How did you launch into your career? What was that first role? And then how did you make your way to the partnering route? Yeah, I think like many of us in the channel, it was never planned. I I first thought I'd be an architect. That was my first passion. And then I about a year or two into that, I switched into a diff, totally different major and became a petroleum engineer. And I was out drilling for oil out in the Gulf of Mexico. And when the oil industry collapsed, I went back, got a business degree, and I ended up getting more and more involved in business. And I found that I really love that side of it. And then I, we were living in, I told you we moved all around. When we were living in uh, Cary, North Carolina, my sister-in-law wanted us to move to Boston because we had just had two kids and she wanted us to be near family. And so she sent me the one ads. This was a while ago. It was a Sunday newspaper, you know, the Boston Globe one ads. And there was an ad for an international sales manager. And I'm like, wow, that sounds cool. I love to travel. We'd just come back from overseas and everything. And so I applied and, and uh, wormed my way into the position. And it turned out it was an international channel sales role. And I had, who knew what the channel was? But I found out and we had um, partners, exclusive partners in every country around the globe almost where, you know, where we could do business. And I was in charge of all of Latin America and about half of Europe. So that became my role was going out and working with these partners and selling. We only sold outside the US through partners. And I totally fell in love with the channel. And I, I just never looked back. Every role I've been in has had a channel element to it. Yeah, it's, uh, it seems that with a partnering bug, if you get it, you've got it. You know, it's, it's a lot of like entrepreneurship, you know. It I've is, yeah. You know, it's just, you get the bug, you enjoy it, you like it. It's, it's so challenging, but yet so rewarding. You know, it's, this role. So yeah, and I, I think a lot of us have that entrepreneurial spirit. And you'll find a lot of us in the channel have gone out and been channel partners, even because we want to try it and go, geez, this is a lot harder than it looks. <laughs> and so we retreat back into being the vendor role, which is a lot easier than these poor guys out there slugging it out being partners. That's that's a tough gig. No question, no question. So Owl Systems, let's let's paint this picture a little bit more. So talk to us about Owl Systems, the company that you're with now. Um, what's the solutions they provide for folks that might not be familiar with their, with their company and then what's your specific role with them? Yeah, sure. So OutSystems is a 20-year-old startup. 
got started out in Lisbon, Portugal um, by some really smart guys who in their consulting project learned that there was a, a better way to code by using more of a visual platform. And it became known as low code. You hear of no code, low code. And it's essentially a rapid application development platform. And within the, you know, say the last five years, the need to develop applications in the cloud has accelerated so rapidly. COVID's even accelerated even faster. Companies have to transform. So as they're looking to be more agile, build new customer experience, multi-experience applications, modernize all these legacy apps that were built with the old software that I sold in my first channel role, you know, that's, that's all got to be converted and migrated. So we're just this rapid application development platform that is built for the channel. Because what does the channel love today in, in a SaaS world? They love services. And we have a huge services drag. So it's just a great solution. We've got good margins for, for the partners that want to sell it. But most of them, the, the pot of gold is in the services that they can build and continue to expand the use of the platform across the company in the, so in the customer. Rob, are there specific types of companies that use your solution or is it pretty much a, a very nimble, agile, flexible platform that pretty much anybody can pretty use? much? Yeah, pretty much anybody, Mark. That's the beauty of it. We have, I would say, probably 20 different core industries that are using it, but all the major industries that you ever think about are going to be using out systems. And it's, it can be a small business play. We have startups that are using it, ISVs that are using it to develop their own product, their own software platform. Um, their SaaS product, all the way up to the, the biggest, you know, companies that you can imagine in the world that are using it. So it's very scalable. And that's also very attractive to our biggest partners, you know, like your GSIs that are in the top global accounts, they're using OutSystems as part of their practice. Okay. And so Rob, as the RVP of Americas, what, what do you do on a daily basis? Who do you work with? Who are you forming partnerships with? What, what, is, what is the day in the life of Rob uh, look like as you're doing your partnering thing? It's really fun, Mark. I, I have the, the benefit of wearing two hats. So my day job is I run channels for the Americas. And that means I've got a team of channel managers and we're out there recruiting partners, enabling partners, helping them get engaged with our sales reps, um, helping them drive new opportunities, your traditional channel role. The other hat I wear is more of, of kind of a global channel strategy and helping to guide the direction of our global partner program. So when I joined about a year and a half ago, we did a massive revamp of our partner program and really brought it to a, to a new level and modernized it um, for today's environment and, and the flexibility that you need in the partner program to adapt to the changing world in the channel. You know, the channel today is so different than the channel I knew when I first got started. So talk to us about recruiting new partners. There's, there's lots of different aspects. There's lots of different kind of gates and lanes and pieces to this, to the partnering side with channel. One of those top tier activities that uh, can be a little bit challenging, um, obviously critical recruiting partners. Yeah. As far as like success practices, what are some things that, uh, that you guys coach or you do uh, within your team when it comes to to recruiting new, uh, new partners. Yeah, and I think it's especially challenging in today's environment because the old, you know, the old meaning last year <laughs> or year before, yeah, right? old is not very long ago now, right? It's <laughs> right. a whole new world. You would, you would find the events where the partners that you want to recruit go to, right? And you could go to those events and use them as recruiting events. And that right today, that's, that's out, of, out, of, uh, out of the picture. So we do a lot in terms of developing what is the ideal partner profile 
of, you know, what are the types of partners that we're looking for? And we keep refining that. Um, what are the different partner types that we're looking for? What are the different business models that we have to offer partners? And then start doing some selective recruiting. So it's, it's both inbound and outbound. We, I've never been in a company where we get so many requests coming in over the transom to be a partner. And it's just a lot of people go to our website and they, they know about OutSystems, they're hearing about the popularity of low code. So we get more inquiries and, and a lot of them we have to filter out. They're just not the right fit for us. But we, we investigate them all to see if they could be a fit. So I would say a lot of our recruiting is coming from that um, avenue. Then we do our targeted recruiting where we've got to go out just like a sales pitch. You've got to go out, right? And use LinkedIn, use your networking, find people in your company who might have connections, just like you would do for a customer. You know, how do you land a customer? You use LinkedIn and you use, you know, first and second degree connections. That's the same thing we do in our partner recruiting. So Rob, talk to us about launching a, launching a channel program, you know, maybe for the first time, what are some of those first things that we need to do to launch, really set ourselves for success? whenever we're launching a new channel program? Well, hopefully you've started by building out your channel strategy. So you know why you're launching it in the first place. <laughs> that, that's a common mistake I see, Mark. You know, people's like, geez, I need a channel. Let's launch a program. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bored. I need something else to do. That's right. And if, when you, what happens is you start recruiting partners and they might not be the right partners. You may not have the right program. And, and if you don't have everything kind of aligned, you could make a lot of mistakes. And those mistakes can really bite you because the channel has a long memory and you don't wanna make really visible mistakes in the channel because partners remember. Um, you can waste a ton of money too. I've, I've joined companies that have spent millions on investments with the wrong partners. And, and what, a, what a waste, right? Yeah. Because when you're in the channel, you, you beg for resources and you, you hate to see them wasted. So that's why I, I always encourage everyone and it's what I do when I join a company is I check what is our strategy and do we really have it firmly documented. We have firm alignment across up and down the organization to that strategy. And have you tested it with partners, right? Go out and test that strategy with partners and make sure it's aligned with what they're trying to accomplish. So that's really the first part. Yeah. I love what you said there. Make sure that internally, we call it like inside the walls, make yes. sure internally that we're all in sync. We're all in alignment from the CEO, his or her mm -hmm. office, all the way down what we intend to do, how we intend to do it, what success looks like, what that finish line looks like, and start there. That is job one. And it's amazing how many times we bypass that. Or we just assume. We just assume we're all in alignment. Yes. But it's painful and expensive, to your point, to, to frequently find out that we didn't have a strong alignment is what we needed. That's right. That's right. And it all starts from the customer. You can work backwards from the customer. Look at, you know, what is the customer buying? How do they buy? What's the complete solution that they need of your product plus maybe other products and services? And where are they going to get that? And that helps you work backwards to the types of partners that you need and then build out the strategy of how you're going to attract and, and motivate those partners. Yeah. So Rob, um, we've got a company. We were five plus years into this. We're doing the direct sales approach, the traditional direct sales approach. You're making some cash, having fun. Life is good, but more is always better. So now we, we want to do this, this uh, channel partnering thing. Mm -hmm. How do we know if we're going to be good at it? How do we know if we're ready? What does that strategy look like? You know, culture definitely plays into this, taking that partnering approach. 
that channel partnering approach, it's really a culture piece too. It, it requires kind of a culture shift. Talk to us, uh, talk to us about that because it's, it's a different game, right? It, it is, it's it a, is different a different game. game. And it's, it's interesting the way you phrase the question because it is a cultural thing. And depending on your CEO and their history and, and beliefs, it may or may not be successful. You know, and it's interesting. Um, I was chatting with a, the former CEO, now a board member of a company um, that was on my, in the, the channel guys on my podcast and their CEO, when he founded the company right out of the gate, they went channel. There was no question. And they've stuck with it hundred percent channel for almost 30 years. They never deviated from that. Right. But when you have a CEO who starts a company and he's in charge and he wants control and he hires sales leaders who want total control, it's tough to come in as a channel chief and try to build a channel in that kind of organization. Yeah, we've, we've all heard the stories and kind of <laughs> yeah. hear those challenges all the time. I have a lot of scars from <laughs> those types of experiences. I bet, I bet. Yeah, no shortage of, uh, of, of, of war stories there. I mean, it seems that most companies, they start off that traditional route, the direct sales approach, and they- yeah decide that they want to do this partnering thing. But um, a lot of times these, uh, these senior execs don't really understand what that means. They don't understand that game. And, and in particular, they don't understand how much time and money and resources and tools that it takes to be successful with that strategy. Yeah. And that, that gets back when you think about strategy, the company strategy. So you're five years into it, you've had decent growth, and now we wanna be bigger. We wanna take it to the next level. So think about what is it that you really wanna accomplish? How much growth do you wanna see? Where do you want that growth? Is, are, is, are you expanding globally? And you don't have offices yet set up in those countries. Well, rather than go out and you know very expensive route to set up offices, think about a channel strategy and how you can get started in the channel and build up your revenue until you're ready to have those offices. Yeah. So there are a lot of components. And then, you know, do you have the CEO support? Do you have board support? If you're venture back, do you have VC support for that? I, I remember going to a show, I think it was um, in partner, I think it was in a partner event. And uh, they had a VC who's been super successful. And he showed like five different big name companies. He said, what are the common themes here? And one of the common themes for all those success stories was the channel. Yeah. Channel played a huge role for each of those in getting to that unicorn status. Yeah. And maybe it goes without being said, but if you don't have your CEO support, if you don't have the C-suite support, if you don't have your board support, if you don't have your, your capital provider support, you can't call time out fast enough. <laughs> right? Yeah, if I, was in the, if I was in the interview process, I'd be a time out, time to, time to look the other direction. Absolutely. Robbie, you talked a little bit about uh, doing a, a partner modernization or kind of what? Yeah. Let's, let's unpack that a little bit, you know, because nothing in business is static, right? And, and we're all hopefully evolving. We're learning. We see new opportunities that's out there. I think technology is opening a lot of different opportunities in, in many aspects, new partners, new tools. Yeah. Um, let, let's unpack this uh, modernization topic a little bit, because I think this is something that we constantly need to look at, don't we? We do. We do. And I think what you'll find probably a lot of listeners are in organizations that may start have started with the traditional transactional channel, and then they needed a different type of channel. Maybe it was MSP. So they bolted on an MSP program. Then they wanted to, they wanted to go to the cloud. So they built a cloud program. 
So you have these disjointed programs with old structures. They're very inflexible. That's one reason why you need to modernize. And you can pull them into one cohesive, very flexible program that is adaptive to the ways that partners want to do business with you. And that's, that's kind of what we did. We didn't have all those bolt-ons. We, we really just had two channels. We had a transactional channel, which was pretty small, and then a delivery channel, which was really strong. And we actually wanted to build a bigger sales channel. We wanted more sellers out there helping us expand the footprint of OutSystems for that scale and reach from a sales perspective. So we, we modernized our program. We took away the tiers. Um, we added in a business planning element. We added in partner badges by partner type. So we have sales partners earn a sales badge, delivery partners earn a delivery badge, MSPs earn an MSP badge. And that, and they're, but they're all under the same umbrella, all in one program, all governed by one partner program agreement. So it's greatly simplified how partners can um, join our partner ecosystem and then go through different steps. And, and first they start out selling and delivering, and then they start building applications on out systems. They can even go to running applications like an ISV. So it's a very flexible program with multiple business models in the one program. So Rob, whenever somebody's standing up a channel for the first time and they're thinking about you know, these different tiers and what uh, maybe commission structures or how they're going to pay yeah. uh, their different partners and then even you know, the, the approach of trying to train their partners on their solutions and a lot of folks do the certification approach to, to have people be certified in their various products before they're able to sell those. Yeah. Um, what's, what's maybe some, some insights or an approach or a process that you might recommend of as we launch this new program or we're kind of building a strategy around kind of all the rules of how we're going to do this? What's, what's some lessons learned that you might be able to share with us? Yeah, a couple of lessons learned um, as we put together our program, rolled it out, and now we're moving into the second year. So we just have made some improvements for the 21 program. We rolled it out in July of 20 this year. Um, but we, even in the first six months, we saw some things we didn't do quite right that we're fixing uh, in 21. But first, keep it simple, right? That's, that's the guiding principle. Keep your program as simple as possible, possible. The other argument you'll have internally when you're starting to set the requirements, you know, what does it take for a sales partner to, be, to earn a sales badge, be sales authorized? Or what does it take a delivery partner? The argument you often have is we said for sales, we wanted the bare minimum where we could say, hey, this partner knows something about selling. And we wanted the bare minimum to say this partner knows something about delivery. So for a, for a services partner, let's look at that. What we require is basically one foundation team. That's what you need to, to develop on out systems, which is three certifications, three people. And we want to see that you've run two projects where you got a CSAT, a customer satisfaction score of at least 80% or better. That's a really low bar. And the fight we have internally is, well, that, that's not an expert partner that if I was a customer, I would trust them to go in and know everything, right? But we said, okay, this isn't, this isn't where we want to be with a partner. This is the, the lowest bar that we say, you've got to meet this minimum requirement. And we did the same thing with sales, but we did it intentionally to keep the program simple have a, a baseline and then we can start working with them and the, the enablement doesn't stop there. That's just getting them into the program with the, meeting the minimum threshold, but that's a minimum threshold that we can have teeth. And if they don't meet it the following year, we kick them out. 
And a lot of programs don't have teeth and you end up with a long tail of a 5,000 partners not doing anything. And we didn't want that. So we, we eject the long tail if they're not meeting the, the minimum requirements. Man, I love that approach. And I'd like to dig into that a little bit because I'm a firm believer that really any relationships that we're going to, to step into, even if it's just a referral uh, relationship, there needs to be some obligation or some commitment to perform. Yeah. Nobody needs to have a stack of referral agreements or a stack of agreements that's sitting on the counter that's not doing anybody any good. What is your philosophy or do you have a philosophy on, um, you know, working with partners and do, do, would you have partners that haven't provided any value or haven't, uh, you know, engaged and brought any clients for many months, sometimes even years? The, the longest that a partner could be with us and not deliver anything would be a year. So they come on as a registered partner. They have one year to earn either sales and or delivery status or MSP. They've got to meet one of those requirements. And as long as they do that, they meet the requirements. Okay, now they're in for another year. But if that year they don't perform and at the end of the year we do a check, they would bounce back down to registered partner, right? So they lose their, their kind of think of it as a premier status. When you have that badge on the website, partners say, yeah, our customers look at it and they see that that's a valued partner. If all they have is the, the ugly gray registered badge, you know, it's like, that doesn't look very good. So we've driven a lot of initiative and motivation of the part of the channel just by how we represent them on the website. It's incredible. Yeah, that's awesome. That is it's, awesome. It's like if you're an author, right? You want to look good on Amazon, you know, or if you're a vendor on Amazon, you want to look good. You want to have good reviews, right? And you want that, that, that the bestseller stamp on there somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's pretty much what we're doing. We're replicating that with how we, we demonstrate or how we re, uh, show our partners on, on our partner finder. Yeah, so whenever it comes to you know, taking this partnering approach to, to gain sales, whether it's you know, through referrals, through channel, through these different lanes, sometimes less is more, isn't yes. it? Just as you're building it, if you can effectively manage them, of course, scale, bring them on. But uh, having dozens of, of quote unquote partners that, uh, that, that you are affiliated with, but if they're not providing any results to you, you kind of need to call them out. Yeah, it's, I feel like I'm going back to where I started. When I started, I had one exclusive partner per country. And we put all our eggs into that basket and made sure they were successful. And then as I got into other roles and other companies that went into having thousands of partners and a lot of them just doing nothing, that, that long, long tail. And now I think there's a, a really general shift. Maybe it's SaaS driven back to quality over quantity. And most channel chiefs that I talk to in various roundtables are much more down that path. They want yeah. the, the, the quality way over the quantity. Absolutely. Rob, let's let's shift and talk to talk about uh, another mutual passion that we have, and that is for podcasting and just yeah. sharing insights. These different things. Talk to us a little bit about your journey. So we're still pretty new at the the whole podcasting thing. Just been doing it for a few months, but uh, love to talk to you about your podcast channel journeys. It's awesome. If you haven't checked it out, do yourself a favor, <laughs> jump in and do that. But uh, why did you start it, and what's what's the intended outcomes that you have? Yeah, well, first, 
congratulations on your podcast and, and thanks for joining the, the crowd here. I'm, I always love it when we have newcomers coming in, especially ones that are talking about channel. It's fantastic. I got started two years ago and um, I first started listening to podcasts a little bit before that and I fell in love with a sailing podcast. And I just, so I just loved this guy's uh, Andy Shell um, with 59 North Sailing and the way he would have these long conversations with people in the industry, you know, boat designers, um, professional sailors, amateur sailors, people going around the world, people quitting their jobs and just heading out, whatever. Um, it was really fun listening to those conversations and um, sailing's about the journey, right? And for me, I thought about channels in the same way. So I started channel journeys. And my original intent was to just have those kind of conversations with, with various guests and just talk about their channel journey personally and their channel journey professionally and what they learned. That was my original thought. I didn't know where it would go. What I found though, in my first five or 10 podcasts, taking that approach, people were getting frustrated with it because I loved it. I loved the personal story, but a lot of people wrote to me and said, Rob, you got to get to the point. Where's the meat? Where's the, where's the lessons that you learn in this story? So I shifted the format where I dive right in to the business topic. And then towards the end, if people want to keep listening, they can. That's when I like to talk about a little bit more personal. What do they love to do outside of work? Because that's always a fun thing to talk about. And, uh, and that started working better. So now I'm, I think I'm 62 or 63 episodes into it. I've had, you know, 60 more conversations with people I may have never spoken with before. And I learned so much from it. It's, it's really a lot of fun. Yeah, I do too. It's uh I, I hope our listeners get something out of what we do, but I know I like it. <laughs> I know I get something out of it. I always get to talk to really smart people like you that have different experiences and, and see the world from, from other lenses and it gives you know, me an opportunity to, to, to learn from them. It's an it, interesting medium, isn't it? Because we do that. We have these conversations and you throw it out there on LinkedIn and say, okay, well, let's see if anyone wants to listen to it. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Rob, uh, one last question for you before we let you go. Sure. And uh, I don't uh, normally ask this one, so I'm going to throw it out there and, and uh, might catch you off guard. I'm going to ask you to talk to your 25-year-old self. Talk to your 25-year-old self. What kind of advice would you give him? I'd say, man, Rob, just be yourself. As you get into life, as you get into business, don't try to be your boss, don't try to be other people you look up to, just be yourself, be natural, be good, be diligent, be respectful, but just be yourself and you're gonna have a lot more success. That's great words of wisdom. Yeah, I didn't learn that till about a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, the important thing is that you did eventually learn it. <laughs> it took a podcast for me to finally learn that. <laughs> That's awesome, I love that. Well, Rob, thank you so much for your time. I can't thank you enough. Thanks for your podcast. Thanks for providing resources to partnering professionals to give them a, an opportunity to learn from others. And uh, really looking forward to continuing to listen to your podcasts and watch you in your career. Excellent. Likewise, Mark. Good luck. Partnernomics podcast is brought to you by Partnernomics. Learn how to leverage the power of partnership. To listen to more episodes of Partnernomics podcast, Visit partnernomics.com.